It's great to be together on a snowy day in 2024. I was sharing with Anne before the services that I remember uh, in my years as a younger Christian um, going to church during seasons where, whether it was due to the weather or um, it was the season where people were away, that the numbers of people that would come to church was significantly reduced. And I remember my pastors saying to me, uh, one in particular uh, who was very influential on me at that juncture in my life, his name was Bill Patton. He was saying, uh, and he was the senior pastor at that time, he was saying that oftentimes when the gathering is smaller, God reserves a blessing for those who do gather uh, because he's present and he's honoring us uh, with his presence. And so that's not to take away from why people can't come and there's all legitimate reasons, but that always encouraged my faith that God's blessing on our gathering wasn't dependent on people being there as much as we miss them. And so that's my prayer for us today as we begin a series in January, which I've called Our Life in Christ Together. Uh, these, are, these are really standalone messages that have been on my heart for us as a church, and I'm trusting God will direct me um, and Dave will have one in three weeks as well for us in this series that will encourage you, encourage us, um, envision us. Um, some, of, some of these will be, well, I believe that, and, I, and so it's more by way of reminder. But some of them, I think, are more than a reminder. I think in bringing them back to our attention, they're really an invitation for us. Uh, to meet God in this particular way in 2024 as a church, as a body. Passage we're about to look at, uh, I'm sure you're glad about this. There is not a single command in these verses. So if you turn these into a command, um, or if I do, then we've mishandled it. Uh, so this is a get to, not a have to. Uh, but when we get to do this together as a church... What Paul is suggesting is, it's a holy hand grenade. It changes us forever. Let's read the passage together. Paul's prayer for the Ephesian churches. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, or translation. And this is what Paul has written. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and 
depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everyone said, let's pray. Lord, as we begin a new year together, it is right for us to begin by declaring how deep the love of Christ is for us as followers and believers in him. And so we pray, Lord, that these words from Paul's prison epistle, these particular words would both encourage us, would envision us, would be used by you to deepen our worship of him. And in so doing, Lord, we would display to others, beginning first with our families, then our church members, then our coworkers and students and friends, that the love of Christ, it's an unknowable love. It surpasses knowledge, yet I have received it. I believe in it, and it's changing me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm encouraged that we have a pastor on staff that's already planning our next sledding gig. Um, although I'm not impressed with the hill here. So as someone who will participate after we sled down that hill, I'm interested if there's some other hills in the area that the youth would like to go on. And thus my opening illustration. Linda and I were talking about sledding today, and she was recounting for me on the way up to Franklin uh, some of her earliest memories of sledding in the Glen Mills, Pennsylvania area, which is a suburb of Westchester, part of Delaware County. It's a hilly area um, where she lives. And she was telling me, uh, this might surprise you, uh, or it, maybe it doesn't surprise you, that she and her sister Nancy at a very young age uh, were fearless in their sledding adventures. I'm not saying that. Uh, there is a road that is at the bottom of the hill where her parents live. They lived on the top of a hill, and at the bottom of the hill, this road is called Sledding Mill, and it is about a mile long. Uh, and on a snowy day, right, when there have been lots of snow, she and Nancy, with the blessing of her parents, would walk the mile long, you know, or maybe her dad drove her in their truck. Uh, they would have already waxed their, what are they called on a sled, skis or blades? I mean, they were serious sledders. I never waxed the uh, blades on my skis. I just took the sled out and sled the thing. But, and they would put it at the top of that hill 
And, you know, how do you do it? How do you steer it? How do you show me in the car? She would steer that thing down the hill. It's a winding through the woods, two lane. It's about a mile long. And I mean, and you can imagine, you are going fast, right? You are, you are moving, I don't know, 20 miles an hour maybe. Maybe that's too fast. But, and when you get to the bottom, there's this long ramp at the end. And then you get off, put your sled on your back, and you walk back up the hill. Do it again. So her first memory of that goes back to like when she was 13, sixth grade. And it didn't happen that often, but when it happened, right, she remembers it. Now, I don't think if we were back in Glen Mills today and I said, honey, let's wax up the skis on the sled and let's do what you did and come on, we're, it's just because we're old now, let's jump on that. I'm not sure she'd do that now. But it made an impression. It created a memory, even though it goes back, you know, what? Sixth grade, 10 years? <laughs> Not that long ago. What Paul's praying for here, this is a prayer. When God answers this prayer in the church and in, and in our lives, we never forget this. We never forget this. So as we go through this passage, first off, this is the first message of the new year. This is not a have to. There's no commands, but it's a get to. And Paul got to it. And he's in prison, by the way. Whatever that looked like in Rome. He's writing this from prison. And he prays this. And you just step back and go, oh, I want some of that. I want, that, I want that for Crossway. I want that for me. I want that for every church in 2024. There's a little book in the back called Joy Unspeakable, Power and Rule in the Holy Spirit by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's not published by the publishing house that D. Martin Lloyd-Jones founded. It had to be published by his grandson. Because what he writes about, Banner of Truth, doesn't affirm. What's he writing about? From church history, Edwards, Moody, R.A. Torrey, Whitfield, is when God answers this prayer that we just read. Can you imagine? And you don't publish sermons on that because you object to the theology? We don't have to imagine because we have here in this passage an invitation, an invitation by Paul himself, by God himself. Here's my main point. God is eager, according to this scripture, to reveal much more of Christ, I'm putting it in quotes, unknowable love for you in the coming year. And I base that on there is a love to be experienced through faith in Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's right there in the text. That transcends knowledge. It goes deeper. It doesn't bypass the mind, but it goes deeper than the mind. So we're going to look at it, encourage one another with it. The outline, I think, of the uh, section is pretty simple. Simple enough, at least for me. 
Jim, this is the outline I have. Paul's posture in verses 14 and 15, it says, right, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul's posture. And then Paul's prayer, beginning in verse 16 through 19, has three parts, and the parts are separated by the word that. That, that, that. So you, as you read it, go, there's one, there's one, there's one. That, that, that. Three different requests, three different parts to the prayer. And then he ends in praise, because it's such an audacious prayer. So stunning. It's so over the top. Now to him who is able, now to him who is able to do far more than we ask, and he just breaks into worship, having prayed this. Let's go through the prayer and then consider some applications. But if you need a, a header, if you will, that helps us think through purposeful applications of church, how do we, Crossway Church, how do we pursue deeper communion with Christ together in 2024? How do we, not you, yes you, but how do we pursue deeper communion with Christ in 2024? And may this prayer both envision us as well as encourage you that we get to do this together. And even more importantly, God is eager. God is eager to reveal much more of Christ, knowable love, unknowable love for us as a church and for you personally in the coming year. So here's my first point as we look at this passage. We affirm that we are already secure in Christ's love through faith in the gospel. We affirm it. We're going to talk about that. We affirm that we are already secure, meaning we believe this, whether we feel it, whether we are currently experience it, or have our faith in the gospel declares, I am loved dearly by God through faith in Christ because my sins are forgiven. I am his adopted child, and I have been declared righteous, chosen, favored by him. Let's look at the passage. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, verse 15, from whom every family on earth is named. So for three chapters, right, Paul has been writing about the glorious realities of the gospel. For three chapters, what one commentator, maybe more than one, calls Paul's little Romans. He has been articulating and expositing and describing for the Ephesians our union with Christ. We're a new creation in Christ. Where's my list? Because I'll forget this. There's so many here. This is all in chapter one. How we are loved by God the Father. In Christ, as Christians, we are chosen by God, predestined by God, in love, before the foundation of the world. We are, we are showered with his grace. We are showered with his kindness. We are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our 
inheritance. He has brought about a, a new creation, a new man, he calls it, in uniting Jew and Gentile believer alike through Christ in what is being called the church. And we could go on, but all that, here's what I want you to see. Three chapters of that have driven Paul to his knees in prison. This is not a throwaway line. He falls down on his knees. Now, when you're in prison, I'm told, even if you're prompted by the Holy Spirit, kneeling can be difficult when you've suffered much for the cause of Christ. So it wasn't comfortable. He wasn't tired. But what's happening, apparently, as he, as he has been writing to the Ephesians about what God has done in Christ for them, and let's just bring it into our lives, as God, through this letter, is telling us what God has done in Christ for us as Christians. We get to this place where, like the prophets of old, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and John on Patmos, we fall down. We fall down. We physically bow down because the revelation of what this theology is that is being articulated suddenly, inexplicably, maybe gradually, but through the work of the Spirit fills our being with such majestic, glorious weight that we bow down. When? When was the last time Bauer Evans bowed down at the hearing of the gospel? I can't tell you. It's been so long. When was the last time when someone shared with me the doctrines of grace, like our election and predestination from before the, the mystery of all that, that the weight of that, I just, I had to fall down. And maybe you do more than I do. My knees are in good shape. There's nothing. Keep... And so what Paul is doing is he's modeling something in this moment that says, if you believe this, God has given us his spirit to take what we believe and to cause it to face, plant us before the majestic, loving presence of God. And so he prays. This is what he prays. So my first point is that the greatest demonstration of God's love for you and I is the objective reality that Christ lived and died in our place for the forgiveness of sins. Amen? That's the gospel. That's what we put faith in. That's what we, 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 will, we will dive to believe that. But Paul is praying for believers in the ship. Why is he praying these prayers for believers if they already believe that? If they're already secure in that? If they've already become convinced of that, I want to suggest, number two, that he prays for them this way, beginning in verse 16, because we pursue deeper experiences of Jesus' love by meditating on the gospel. 
We pursue. How do we pursue deeper communion with Christ together in 2024? First, we affirm we are already secure in God's love through faith in Christ. He loves us. He treasures us. Our sins are forgiven. We are righteous in Christ. We are his children. We are his beloved children. He is with us. He is in us. We are in Christ. However you affirm that, he is for you and for me because of Christ. And now we pursue deeper experiences by meditating on the gospel. He says... beginning in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Do you see that in your text? Right before it, so the Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We'll come back to that. But that you being rooted and grounded in love. So we pursue deeper experiences of Jesus' love by meditating on the gospel And what he tells us in verse 17 is that we are being rooted and grounded in love so that with all the saints, verse 18, we may have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So Paul uses two pictures here to describe us as secure and established and safe in Jesus' love. First he says, we're rooted. So he's picturing a plant whose roots dig down deep into the soil and make the tree strong and secure and steady so that when the storm comes and the winds blow, the tree is not brought down. And then he says, we're grounded. We're being grounded in love. And the picture here, I'm told, is a building whose foundation is laid and it's a solid foundation. The cornerstone and the foundation are established and it keeps the structure standing so that when the floods come and the dirt beneath the building begins to shift, this building stands. And so we, we, Paul is saying, are secure in Christ's love through faith in the gospel. We will not be uprooted. We will not collapse. We're not going anywhere when the storms come and seem to shake us. And what keeps us standing, what keeps us standing is that we didn't do this. We didn't do this. We didn't do this. We didn't plant ourselves in Christ's love. We were planted there by God's gracious and sovereign love. Before we ever knew Jesus, he knew us. Before we ever loved Jesus, Paul tells us in chapter one, he loved us. Before we ever chose Jesus, he chose us. And because none of it depends on us, he loves us, our theme today. Not for who we once were or for things we once did. He loves us not for who we are not or for ways we are presently growing in faithfulness. He loves us not for what we will be or something we will do someday. He loves us, Paul is saying, because he loves us in Christ. This means, as we begin 24, he is not disappointed with me in 2023. He loves me in Christ. He's not disappointed. I may be disappointed, but he's not. 
There are no no unmet expectations. Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, loves us and we can be secure in his love because he has rooted us and grounded us and made us secure in his unfailing, steady, and unending love. That is what our Savior has done for us. It was his great love for you and I that caused him to leave heaven in the first place and be born in Bethlehem as we considered and reflected on and beholding the wonder of his carnation and in living an obedient life and in dying as a substitute on the cross, receiving in himself God's judgment, his wrath for sin, my sin and your sin and his death and burial and then unexpected but triumphant resurrection and now his ascension. Jesus rooted you and I and grounded you and I in his love in fulfillment of his purposes. Pastor Puritan Thomas Goodwin, uh, who was very influential on D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, not just in this book, but he read many of the Puritans who, who like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great British, British pastor and preacher, had an interest in revival and believed that apart from revival, his Britain could not be won. So he worked for that and prayed for that. Pastor Thomas Goodwin said, why would Paul pray this prayer if they're already Christians, if they already know that they're loved? Why would he pray this prayer? What, 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 what? And so this is how he described it to his congregation. A man and his little child are walking down a road. They're walking hand in hand. And the child knows that he is, she is the child of his or her father. And he or she knows that his father loves him and rejoices in that and is happy in it. Listen, there's no uncertainty about it, but suddenly, unexpectedly, the father, moved by some impulse, takes hold of this child, picks him up in his arms, and kisses him and embraces her and showers his love upon her and then puts him down and they go on walking together. Goodman explained to his congregation, it's not that God has stopped loving us. He loves us, it's certain. But from time to time, through the work of the Spirit in the Word, ministering to us, He wants to demonstrate it in a supernatural way. I shared this book. I didn't know what I was doing, but I shared this book with an individual that does not share Trinity Fellowship Church theology. But he is a leading figure in the area where I grew up, and I had the privilege to work for him, work with him for almost 10, 11 years. And it's often the case, we get to Christmas time, and what, what do teachers do? They give each other books. So I gave him this book. I didn't know what I was giving him. I gave him this book. I've shared this story before. I've changed the name. And I knew he loved church history because he's got his PhD in Puritan history from Bryn Mawr University, college. I mean, jeez, how do you get a Puritan PhD from that school? They think the Puritans are horrible people. 
respected, influential, still serving faithfully. But because of his and my love of church history, I said, hey, I, I stumbled upon Martin Lloyd-Jones. He never heard of it. We'd heard of his commentaries on Romans and commentary. He never heard of this, and so he took it. And he does what you do with Christmas gift books. You know, I give you a book, you put it on a shelf. Forget about it. And then he woke up one crazy night, like I guess we all do, at 2 in the morning, made himself a cup of coffee, pulled off the book and just sort of opened it randomly. It turns out that chapter 4, and he reads about one of his heroes in church history, Charles Simeon. Simeon, of Simeon Trust, who believes everything we said, but suddenly, inexplicably, not expectedly, begins to become aware of the majestic presence of God in love. And Simeon falls to the ground. He begins to cry. And it's as if, it's as if he's a little boy again with his loving father. And he just melts there. Simeon does. <laughs> I love this. And George, I just gave away his name, Fred, is reading that, and he becomes aware of a similar vibe. Now, this, this is a Presbyterian, Mike. You don't fall down on your knees, not to slander the domination, but... And he, he's reading this, and he's... And he goes down on his knees, and then he does something he's never done before. He gets down on his face, and he begins to weep tears of joy. And he sat there on his shag carpet for three hours until his beloved wife came down and said, Honey, what is going on? Are you keeping secrets from me? What is happening? And she heard him say, You're not going to believe this, and then had her read, this testimony of Simon from chapter 4. He said, that's me. Now, what we didn't know is that this Amanda didn't grow up with a father. He was alienated from his father very early, very early on. Became a Christian, the first Christian in his family, but didn't have a loving, heavenly, earthly father. Had, had a distant father. And so... For the first time, he would say, and he was a mature believer, far more mature than me, much more spiritual fruit than me. He said, I, I now know in a, a more personal way what I've only known in, a, in an intellectual way, which doesn't make it less true. I, through Christ, am God's beloved son. And he loves me. I was shocked. I was even more shocked when he felt the need to tell his pastor. Said, have you read this? Never heard of this. It's not published by Banner. Why is it published by Banner? That whole story. And his pastor wisely said, and he doesn't even believe in the theology. That's the assurance of God's love Paul talks about. In Ephesians 3. Third point. Third point. We're moving to close. As we meditate on the gospel and 
and, and allow our minds to be renewed, right? Chapters one and two and three with these, these awesome truths about the doctrines of grace and the, the work of God through them. We not only pursue deeper experience of Jesus' love, but we, by meditating on them, but three, we pursue deeper experiences of Jesus' love through prayer, independence, on the Holy Spirit. We pursue deeper experiences of Jeepers love, prayer, independence on the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, here's Paul's praying, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. There it is. A growing awareness of Jesus' love for Paul, he understood was when the person of the Spirit strengthened his inner being with power, not only so that he could, verse 17, grasp and hold fast to that he was being rooted and grounded in God's love, but now he would be given strength, verse 18, to comprehend with all the strength what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love through Christ. It's through the person of the Spirit that he takes the truths that the Spirit has given us. He doesn't bypass the mind, but he works a deeper work that goes deeper than the mind into the core of our inner being so that we experience the reality in a fuller way, a growing way, a, a a way that you'll never forget, like sledding as a 13-year-old on sledding mill. Doesn't happen every day, doesn't happen every week, but it happens, according to Paul, as we pray these prayers. And by the way, the, the measurements he gives of that, that building, the breadth and length and height and depth, he's describing a building, but it's... It's so high, it's so deep, it's so broad, it's so massive. It's as if Paul is saying, we could never fully explore the depths and the riches and the, of this love Christ has for us. So yes, we should pray for our daily needs. Thank God we do. We're praying church. We should pray for regular provision. Yes, scripture teaches that. We should pray this prayer too. And I want to suggest in 2024, God may be suggesting we move this closer to the front. Because there may be winds coming in your life and mine. There may be storms brewing. I don't know. Last year I had enough storms. I'm ready for a cruise. But I don't think that's normally how God deepens our dependency on him, works. I read something on Desiring God in their 2024 reflection. I think it was by Mathis. And the writer was humbly saying, he asked the question, do we pray that our soul would not become bored with the gospel? You know what scripture he cited? Ephesians 3, right here. That was humble of him. I don't want to be bored 
with God. I don't want to be bored with the riches God has given me in Christ. I don't want to be bored with God's desire to fill me with a greater sense of his love through Christ that I would be transformed by it. C.S. Lewis was influenced by some people who were also eager to see England renewed and revived in the things of God after his cursion. And one of the writers that Lewis quotes said, and this, this is sobering, for nothing is so deadening to the sense of the divine. Nothing is so deadening to the sense of the divine as a habitual dealing with the outside of holy things. Nothing is so deadening to a sense of the divine as a habitual, in other words, I'll just use myself. Communion is holy. It's gracious, but it's still holy. And if I become bored with it or it becomes superficial or rote, instead of an invitation to commune with Christ through faith and ask by the work of the Spirit, Lord, fill me with a greater sense of a love. It just becomes a duty or something I do and I lose a sense of its majesty and it doesn't incite in me. It's just something we do. It's a Lewis was concerned for his soul that nothing deadens his sense of the divine than a habitual dealing of things that are holy. Scripture, ordinances, worship music, church. Well, when it stays on the outside of us, it's not really working the inside. But God has better things in store for us because Paul says, as I conclude, that this is what we get to do together. Verse 19, together we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We know the love of Christ that is unknowable. We know the love of Christ that is deeper, works through our minds, because deeper that you, it's a plural, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is his vision of the church, that together we would be given by the work of the Spirit the power to comprehend the love of Christ together. That in community groups, as we look at scripture and we meditate it on, on Christ together and pray for one another, after our Sunday morning gatherings, when we, when we gather for monthly prayer, when, we, when we're at home or when we're having fellowship with friends and we talk about the ways Jesus is meeting with us, we get to do this together. We get to pursue deeper communion with Christ together by praying this way and saying, Holy Spirit, I want more of what Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and John experienced. What Paul prayed for. And this community is a gift of God to me. It's also... I'll conclude with this. Crossway is a safe place because we believe in grace. When you feel numb to the things of God, when your heart's grown cold, the things of God, 
This is a very safe place. Because Jesus is the friend of sinners, like Bauer Evans. And that means he's my friend when my heart's growing cold. Or I haven't prayed this. Or I'm bored with it. But in the mystery of his pursuit and patience and love, he's still at work. And as we share that in community, it encourages. It encourages. So when you feel you're too weak to meditate, too weak to pray, too weak to share in life group, too weak to go to life group, too weak to consider maybe again the pages of Ephesians 1 through 3 like fuel to a fire and then you get to that prayer and it lights and you ignite it with others and you pray too weak to do that may you remember Christ drew near to you in the gospel and says to you as the father has loved me I now love you. We get to pursue more of communion with Christ together in 20, because God is eager to reveal more of Christ's unknowable love for you in 2024. One application question. It's really simple. As you read this prayer together, how can you create more space in your life How can you create more space in your life? So now I pray this prayer, but pursue deeper communion with Christ together with another. How can you create more space, some space to pursue deeper communion? Maybe we'll say with Dwight Moody on that day, as he was walking along the streets of New York City in 1850, suddenly God came down in a way I've never forgotten. And I started to experience so much love being poured out into my heart that I had to ask him to stop. Or George Whitfield. He started praying one night. He started to experience God's love poured in his heart as he was praying. And he said, I mean, this man understood grace. Lord, please stop. I have to get some rest. Let's pray. Lord, we do need rest. But we also desire to pursue deeper communion with you together in 2024. Thank you that, Lord, this is not a command scripture. This is not, there is no imperatives in these. This is Paul saying to these believers he dearly loves that there is more for them through the work of the Spirit as they pursue communion with Christ. And so we pray for our church as we begin a new year. We pray, Lord, for Crossway Church. We pray that here in this place, in this space, in all of our gatherings, formal and formal, that deeper communion with Christ and and a deeper experience of his love 
and a deeper pursuit of him would accompany, Lord, our pursuit of gospel-centered theology and expositional teaching and preaching and our commitment to the centrality of Scripture. We want both. We want both. Because Paul says in that prayer, both are ours to be had for the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the glory of the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.